Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Maybe that's why Bluehost has been recommended by WordPress.org since 2005. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com wondersuite. That's bluehost.com wondersuite. Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu slash visit. The topics and opinions expressed on the following show are solely those of the hosts and their guests and not those of W4WN Radio, its employees, or affiliates. We make no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services, or products mentioned on air or on our web. No liability, explicit or implied, shall be extended to W4WN Radio, its employees, or affiliates. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for choosing W4WN Radio. Breath away and there you will be So young and carefree Again you will see That place in time So gold Good evening and thank you for tuning in again for another edition of NSB Online Radio. I'm your host Jacqueline Williams-Hines and this is the show where there are no small victories and every accomplishment should be celebrated. Tonight, joining our family is founder of the Autism Trees Project Foundation, Dana Hoff. Dana, thank you so much for joining the show tonight. Well, thank you for having me. I'm really honored to be here. Well, as I say all the time, we don't have guests. We have family. So thank you for joining our family conversation um, one of the icebreakers that I typically use just to introduce you to the family is a question that I pose, and that is, how has autism touched your life? Well, my son was diagnosed uh, August 30th, 2002. Um, he was born March um, 23rd, 2000. So he wasn't quite three years old, but I was having um, sort of like my own Amber Alert. He was my first and only child. And it was almost like a building Amber Alert where I knew something wasn't right um, for minimally nine months because I remember how I planned his two-year birthday and I had to take all these special considerations into, into the party planning because of all the sensory issues he had. So... That was typically, were, there, were those the things that you saw that prompted you to get an assessment for the diagnosis? Yeah, you know, I was really, really into being a mom and having a baby, and, and so was my husband. And, um, you know, like a lot of uh, couples, we didn't get pregnant really quickly or really easily. And and so when we did, we were just so into it. And um You know, I was really into his developmental milestones. I had a chart on the back of his door. I took him to San Diego State University, which is a university near where I live in San Diego. And they had, you know, a milestone, like looking at your child's developmental milestones, but all kind of for fun, and it it was part of research. But they didn't pick up anything on him, and they completely could have. And he was really young then. He was maybe like a year. He wasn't talking but one of the biggest things they did in the study they were doing back then is 
they had like a three-ring binder, and they'd open it, and it would have like a picture of a fire truck on the left and a kitty cat on the right, and they would say, point to the fire truck. And my son Garrett would never point at all, ever. And um, I knew, I wasn't really alarmed. I didn't know that was a big deal. And I knew 100% that he knew what a fire truck was, that he knew what a kitty cat was. And um, so that would have been a really big indicator, um, you know, like a check in the box for autism. And he didn't respond to his name. So numbers of things. So the checkoff list for autism, which I'd never seen until way after he was diagnosed, I definitely just slowly, surely could have been checking those boxes, but I never saw the checkoff list for autism, like I said, until we were in the regional center with the diagnosis already. So you were basically just kind of going with your gut instinct as a mom then. Yeah, and I remember picking up the phone and, you know, calling other moms that were more seasoned than me and had multiple boys, and I would say, does your boy, you know, ever play for, you know, long periods of time with his cars and spin the wheels and turn them upside down and, you know, just play really intensely for long, long periods of time, and, you know, he would make patterns of things and line things up and I mean, it's all kind of in his childhood pictures before he got diagnosed. And, um, and you, you know, as a mom, I would look at what he was doing and think he's really intelligent and he's really smart. And so would, you know, our family members. And we never, ever didn't think he wasn't intelligent. But um, there were certainly, you know, just a lot of things that we were like, this is not, you know, this is, doesn't seem like this is typical, especially getting no sleep. You know, he really didn't require much sleep at all for years. And, um so, yeah, I, you know, like a lot of families, uh, it took nine months to get my son diagnosed, and we took him all over Southern California. And my husband was a CEO at a small rehab hospital here where they did, like, um, total knee replacements, total hip replacements, you know, that kind of thing. They're associated with Mercy Hospital. But would do once the patients had surgery, they'd help them um, get rehabilitated. So he had huge access to health care in San Diego, and I was – calling on all the neurologists in Southern California, um, over 200 of them. And so I was with neurologists, and I never heard the word autism. Um, and I was doing preceptorships with doctors, and it was just it was so shocking to me to be working in the field of neurology selling a drug called Keppra, which is a seizure drug, and having no idea when my son was finally diagnosed with autism what autism really was other than like everyone else in America, which is, you know, um, I'm blanking on Justin Hoffman's movie right now, Rain Man. You know, that was about my only reference point at that time as well. So, and I just want to make sure that I, I don't know if we've mentioned it before, we do have a chat room that's attached to the show so that our other family members can interact with us, you know, in, in real time and really ask questions that are pertinent to their experiences. And I will interject those questions as we go along. Um, but I, I find that so fascinating that you had access to all of these resources and you still had a hard time getting the diagnosis. Yeah, it was um, it was pretty, I don't know what the word even is. I just don't have a word for it. It was just when my husband and I finally got our son diagnosed after nine um, hard-fought months to get that diagnosis and multiple institutions from San Diego to Irvine, University of Irvine, to UCLA, um, and all the way back to UCSD and Rady Children's Hospital where Dr. Doris Troner is. She's a chief of pediatric neurosurgery. And I knew her and I, I worked with her, but, um, you know, I, she finally, out of frustration, said to me, bring Garrett in to my office. And I said, okay. And so I did and all she did was watch him play for like two hours. And at the end of that two hours, she said, he has PDD NOS. And I just felt like I went down a rabbit hole. <laughs> now, I had never heard of that except for when uh, Dr. Troner had asked me um, as her Kepra rep to support her children with PDD NOS. And I said, sure. What does that mean? And she said, pervasive developmental delay not otherwise specified. And I said, oh, you know, I just assume, which we should never do, I thought that meant mentally delayed children. I had no idea whatsoever at that point um, that that meant anything related to autism. (laughs) 
we're, I'm just looking at our chat room, and we do have some questions coming in from our families. Uh, one of the questions was, did they think something else was wrong with him? Yes. Um, we were on a path for a good amount of time with seizures. And at the time, I can't speak to this year, 2017, but going back 14 years ago, uh, we did not have a pediatric epileptologist. And because I was working with neurologists and sell, you know, selling a seizure drug, I was around neurologists and they said, to have your son tested, you need to do it with a pediatric epileptologist in San Diego, didn't have one, so then they referred me to Dr. John Rowe, who was a pediatric epileptologist, and I knew him because I was selling Kepra, the seizure drug. He was one of my doctors, and so he said, well, you have to have the right staff and the right equipment, and, you know, everything has to be in place to really get a good um, diagnosis, and again, this was for seizures, not autism. So then we got on a waiting list, and he referred us to Dr. Sankar at UCLA, and that was for, we'd already had, I think, the, um, the brain monitoring is at EEG, and then this was for um, like a 24-hour like a study on brain monitoring where they're hooked up to monitor, like a, electrodes, and I was just, um, it was indescribable as a mom because my son was such an active toddler. I mean, he, he just, he never sat still. He didn't need sleep. It was just, I, it was unimaginable to me that he was going to have a, um, a sleep study and be electrodes on his head and not leave a bed for that long. So it was fully incredible. And after that happened and we still didn't have a diagnosis, I thought it was going to break um, my family apart. It was, it was just the amount of money, the amount of time, the amount of stress. And my husband and I both had big careers and our MBAs, and it was just like, it just felt like rocket science trying to figure out. So when we finally got a diagnosis back in San Diego with Dr. Doris Troner, who's chief of pediatric neurology, it was actually a relief, and we both simultaneously just saw a sea of kids beyond our own son. And we just thought, you know, what, it, what, it, what are the other families going to do when we couldn't figure it out? And it almost, without any hesitation, it almost broke us. I just really remember feeling... Uh, so much that, it, like, walking and breathing was very difficult at first for me as just a human, <laughs> let alone a mom and trying to cope. It was just it was just so unimaginable to comprehend it all. So um, I, I'm looking at the questions that are coming in, and, again, I think this, this is one of those instances where I'm so enthralled by what you're saying that for a minute I, I forget. <laughs> That I'm hoping <laughs> that's because um, you're yeah. a mom like me, and our sons are the same yeah, age. I don't know what your experience was, but <laughs> it, it really takes me back to some of my own personal experiences. And as I said, you know, for me, this show, this is family. Um, so when we have new family members, and I'm seeing questions that are coming in that I felt that we've talked about um, some of this subject matter before, I have to remind myself that some of these are new family members to the show. And we want, to, we want to give them as much information as possible. So I don't want to feel that we're being redundant, but I want to go back a little bit. When you talked about the diagnosis of TDD NOS, um, one of our family members says, what does those letters stand for? Again, and, and we can talk, and I think um, it's important that we make the distinction between that diagnosis, with, because my son was diagnosed as well with TDD NOS, but what the diagnosis looks like today so that our mm -hmm. families have a little bit better idea of what the landscape looks like when we're talking uh, diagnostic criteria. Sure. Do you want me to speak to that, or do you have something you want Ab to add no, to that? No, absolutely. Okay. I, I, you know, I would love for you to just talk about the diagnosis of PDD NOS and what mm -hmm. that uh, really kind of stood for back then and, and mm -hmm. what, how we're looking at the diagnosis today. Mm-hmm. Well, um, PDD-NOS stands for Pervasive Developmental Delay, Not Otherwise Specified. So it's the beginning. And doctor, in, our, in our instance, Dr. Doris Troner, the Chief of Pediatric Neurology at Rady Children's Hospital in San Diego, and also she's a professor and has um, you know, students under her grad students um, at UCSD in San Diego. So she referred us to a PhD, Dr. Jennifer Oak here, who took 
a very long time because my son had so many sensory issues and, quite frankly, tantrumed so much that it took us, if I have to guess, around three weeks and more appointments than I can count for her to do a full assessment, which is called the dsm 4 And I don't know about everyone listening or or your story, Jacqueline, but my husband is really a rock, and he rarely cries. And when we finally got the full report on where our son was on the autism spectrum, um, my husband was devastated. He cried, and then we kind of didn't discuss it, and we kind of didn't really read it. And I don't even know if we absorbed the report, and we just started trying to figure out um, how to get the very best therapy for him. And in our instance, um, we used the therapy that was given to us through regional center and the hours that were given to us by the ABA company at that time. And um, now we have over 20 ABA companies in San Diego and RDI is more accepted than it was back then. And there's a lot of other therapy that if I was to get a new diagnosis today, I almost feel like I'd be starting over. I would not at all do exactly what I did for my son though I absolutely positively um, spend my days mostly all day running Autism Tree Project and focusing on early intervention because I know that it works. There's, you know, there's no guarantees, but um, early intervention is our best hope for our children with autism. And that is why my husband and I started the Autism Tree Project Foundation. We did not want another family to waste the nine months that we did. We wanted to make it easy for a family to get a diagnosis and a treatment plan and not waste a second because we absolutely believe, like, with every cell that makes me me and my husband him, every cell in our body believes that um, when a child is born, their brain is most able to rewire between ages of zero and seven. So right now, my hope would be that families could get their child diagnosed at 12 months. Having said that, we get calls all the time where children are still four, five, six, seven, and up years old. And it's, it's tragic to me because you can't get that time back. And I, you know, I work in behavior therapy. Um, and, and we do talk a lot about the importance of early intervention, uh, early identification, getting those diagnoses. And one question that came in was, so you're saying it doesn't only happen to poor people. And I, I, and I thank you, family member, for saying that. Um, I think that was such a good point to make that you and your husband were both in very lucrative um, positions and, and also in, you know, very important positions where you were interacting with medical personnel and you still had a hard time getting a diagnosis. Yeah, it was... Um... I mean, we, that's what our whole focus was, and it, you know, it took more, it was longer than, you know, conceiving a baby. It was definitely a little bit over nine months, just a full attack on, like, what is going on, and just an endless stream of appointments and testing, and there's no way that I could exaggerate how um, frustrating and difficult it was. I mean, it definitely, te- I have a strong faith, it definitely tested it. So. Well, we have another family member that says, did anything that was done prior to the diagnosis have an effect on the diagnosis? Mm. Well, I don't want to get into a vaccine discussion. You know, that's just not what um, I would like to spend my time on. But when we started the Autism Tree Project Foundation here in San Diego, uh, Doug Flutie was a San Diego charger. And our first um, event that we did was Monday Night Football with Doug Flutie to put our foundation on the map. And um, the Flutie Foundation also believed in early intervention and were very supportive of us. And um, so all the money that we raised at Monday Night Football with Doug Flutie went to research in Dr. Doris Tronner's lab at UCSD. And what we wanted her to prove is that vaccines don't cause autism because we had so much video of our son just from videotaping him at Gymboree and the local farmer's market riding a little pony and birthday parties, this, that, and the other. We linked six months of videotape from when he zero to six months. And then we had, like, other video from, like, uh, I don't know, nine months to 18 months. 
and it was it was just draw dropping. It was it was just like what happened? He, he all of a sudden was not able to do all the things that he used to be able to do um, at Gymboree, or I couldn't put him in a grocery cart, or I couldn't put him in a swing, or he wouldn't sit on a pony, he wouldn't go on the little kid rides at SeaWorld. Or I mean, it was just endless. It completely affected our life, and it was very much a sensory situation. But he clearly, I have so much video, he did not have that um, for sure until he was six months old. And so we really believe for our child that the MMR um, caused him to have, uh, you know, maybe there is a genetic component. Um, I'm not a scientist. I'm a parent. And, but maybe something got triggered, and I think the MMR triggered it. And I think, you know, I've been in um, situations where I was being interviewed, and that question always comes up. And for me, I, I totally agree um, that it's kind of like the horse is out of the gate, out of the barn right now, and I can't keep revisiting the what is. I have to kind of keep going forward and, and trying to help families as best I can. So I definitely, uh, I definitely agree that's not a conversation we want to have. I think our families are dealing with enough without right. that added burden of the guilt with if I had done something different. Um, but I, I do understand the question. But I wanted to say that I did go to your website, and first I want to say such a beautiful picture of your family. Um, you're such a lovely family. Uh, but I did yeah. note that when I was, I was looking at the picture of your son, and while he had a, he had a full-on gaze, with the photographer, and he even had a slight smile. And, you know, we see so often in, in video and in pictures, our children will have a very slack um, effect, a, you know, very non-grip, not really registering any type of, or expressing any type of emotion. When that picture was taken, what was he like at that point? Mm. Well, I think that my he always had um a personality and he like he he definitely gets bored easy so he he likes learning he likes interacting like um most of his childhood if he went to a camp or something or you know gymboree or something and let's say they have a parent night out he will not want to go again if he didn't feel like it was interactive enough so I think that um on one level you know, new environments, new people could be very overwhelming to him. But um, that's why early intervention is so wonderful because I started realizing after my first year of learning how to, how to, how to help my, my toddler when he was, you know, in preschool is when, his, when we started doing the LOVAS program, which was like 40 hours a week of therapy. And what I really started realizing, Jackie, is that I can have a really big impact on my son if I'm really organized where it's like, okay, at four, you know, 3.55, we're going to call Jackie, and I'm looking at your beautiful picture that's hashtag world-class most inspiring leader, and it's a beautiful picture of you, so I feel like I'm looking at you as I'm talking to you. And um, the more that I would talk to him about, okay, this is what we're going to do first today and this is what we're going to do next with pictures and then give him that in the car and give him choices. Um, it is fully remarkable how much better our day would be. And then I started even realizing when I'm upset, when I have anxiety, when I'm, when I'm not okay, then my child's, I, I'm like a mirror. You know, my child is a mirror of me. So I really, I would say my first year was paralyzing, but also by the end of it, I realized my, and my, it was beautiful. And my husband, he started me the, calling me the chief Garrett officer. And, you know, I quit my career and I started the autism tree. And I really encouraged every mom to to use their resources but own their child. It's, we're the, we're, we are the most knowledgeable on our children, the mother, and we can take a lot of um, feedback from the best resources we can find, but at the end of the day, we call the shots. I think, uh, and thank you for that compliment. Thank you so much. Um, but I, I, you know, I've said that so many times that we are these warriors, and I, and I don't mean to discount our fathers because our fathers are doing, um, a lot of our fathers really are struggling with the diagnosis 
especially because it does affect our boys uh, almost five times as much as our girls. Um, but I, I just met some of the most incredible mommy warriors who have just gone into so many different fields of support services because of this diagnosis. So um, on behalf of all the other mommies, uh, I want to say thank you for the work that you do. And it's it's so amazing to me that how you can take a an experience that can be so overwhelming and it's almost like a crash course and like a boot camp. Mm-hmm. Um, and we I take totally that agree. and we become so resilient and we're able to create all of these wonderful things. I want you to tell me tell me about the project. I mean, I, I'm just looking at your profile and your website and I'm just amazed at all of the activities you have going on. Tell our families about the project. Okay, I'd be happy to, and thank you um, for the kind words. I I am sure everything you just said in terms of I'm 14 years into the foundation, um, and I have seen countless moms that I consider um, everyone. One of the favorite things for me, I don't get paid for running the foundation, and one of the best gifts, that happens to me is when someone says the reason they love our foundation is because it feels like their family. And if you ever come to San Diego and you come to our office, it's meant to feel like you're in your own living room. And um, Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors, and add blocks. No custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise, and with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Maybe that's why Bluehost has been recommended by WordPress.org since 2005. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to Bluehost.com Wondersuite. That's Bluehost.com Wondersuite. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So having said that, our primary, our primary mission is early intervention. And how do we do that? Is through preschool screenings. Right now today, we've screened 14,415 children to date, and we started in 2006. Um, This year alone, we screened 2,136 children. We had a moment which um, became a very strong heartbeat of our foundation. In 2014, we got a grant to screen in City Heights, which is the largest refugee community in our country, America, and it's in San Diego, and they speak like 63 languages. Well, Jackie, I didn't realize um, how large the challenge would be, and the reason is they do not send their children to preschool largely um, in that community that everyone refers to as City Heights. So the long story short is we had to actually ask for an extension on the grant and our speech therapist, that was my son's speech therapist, and has a practice that sees 300 children with autism largely in Mission Valley area of San Diego. Her name is Kara Dodds. And she found a Head Start preschool in City Heights. And that became a very big catalyst for us because we um, had a little boy that ended up getting diagnosed from that Head Start preschool. And it did not happen quickly. It never does. But um, ultimately, Jeremiah's mom left him, and the father's mother, Jeremiah's grandmother, started raising him. 
And without any hesitation, we've all completely fallen in love with um, Josefina is Jeremiah's grandmother. She's on the Head Start board. She brought in the first check for $1,000, which in order to qualify for Head Start, you have to make be a family of four making less than $22,000 a year. In our community alone, there's over 10,300 Head Start preschoolers, and that's why we took on doing a 1,000-person luncheon last year. We had 101 tables of 10, which is over 1,000. And all of it was because we wanted to rise up a larger presence in our community and screen all the low-income Head Start preschoolers. And the initiative was led by Josefina's grant. Um, Josefina, Jeremiah's grandmother, and there's a three-minute video about the story that our speech therapist paid for um, to do that, to get the message out, is that is what, why we're doing the luncheon, and, and it'll be our 15th year anniversary at the luncheon next April. We only have one full-time employee, so we can't do a thousand-person luncheon every year, but the reason we continue to do it is because we want to screen all the Head Start preschoolers in San Diego every year. And we don't have enough funding yet to be able to do that. So that's the first thing that Autism Tree wants to do, is screen all of San Diego County's preschoolers with the goal that, the kindy- that preschoolers can be kindergarten ready. In every preschool that we work with, kids get diagnosed with autism. And it's about the same rate as the national average, which the CDC says one in every 50 school-aged children, which is ages 6 to 17. And we're not even talking about that age group. We're talking about preschoolers. So that's a little bit crazy to me. But the bottom line is that when a child gets diagnosed with autism, they become part of a family. That's what we want them to experience. We don't want them to be alone. We offer 20 free, three, We have 20 free programs that we don't charge families for. And that consists, if you look at our calendar, we have over 200 calendared events per year. Right now we're gearing up for one of the funnest events that we do every year, which is with our USD football players. We've been doing it for nine years. We pair our kids with football players and baseball players at USD, and then we have a winter wonderland, which is this Saturday. And it's just really magical. And that's just one example. But so basically our, our mission is we want to catch children in preschool with any delay. The children with autism, we want to serve them and be like a family for them and help guide their parents and help them not feel alone and help them do things that normal families do, which by yourself when you have a child with autism is hard to do. It's hard to just go to a Padre baseball game. It's hard to go and watch a foot college football game. But all those things are possible when you have your autism family around you. I am just, honestly, my mouth is really on the floor right now. Um, This is my biggest focus um, as well, uh, are looking at diagnostic disparities, in particular the African-American community. But I thought what you said was so compelling when you were talking about working with a large population of refugees and I'm just looking, I'm thinking about the barriers that certain communities face, whether it's language-based, socioeconomic, uh, cultural, and to have a project of your magnitude and and servicing as many people as you're servicing, that is just, uh, my mind is blown Um, because I, I don't know that our family members understand how difficult it is just to get a dozen children. Um, so I'm in, I'm in total awe. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm in total awe. And it's one of those <laughs> moments you. where I have to kind of collect myself uh, to, to really get back to the, the conversation. But I do want to address the, the questions that are coming in from our families. Um, so one of our family members says, do they have this program anyplace else? Yeah, well, you know, it makes my heart hurt a little bit. Um to hear that question because uh, the reason that we have it here is a heart connection. You know, my heart connection to my son, my husband and I having this heart connection to all the children we knew were out there that we hadn't met yet. And, you know, I have never become immune to a new diagnosis. And what happened, Jackie, was, Once my son was diagnosed, I just started learning, like we all did, like you did, and I'm sure people listening. Um, 
And I just I just started to um, pay it forward because 10 people, I had a list of 10 people that friends and colleagues of mine had given me. And none of those people made me wait. None of them said, oh, can I call you next week or tomorrow or in an hour? Every person that I called in crisis because my baby was just diagnosed was a saint and an angel and gave me everything they possibly could. I remember every phone call was at least three hours. Well, I started doing that every day, too. I put myself out there. Um, literally, I never didn't take a phone call until um, October 2010. I, uh, I, I got a diagnosis of myself of breast cancer, and I didn't handle it well. I'd much rather help other people. I'm really not good um, at helping myself is what I found out. I was completely um, sort of immobilized, and I'm just – I'm just not a good patient. I, I'm not good at hearing the information. And so the positive thing was it was a blessing in disguise because I realized immediately that I had to stop talking on the phone, which I was like seven or eight years into taking phone calls every day, all day. I'd never, ever not took a phone call. People had talked to me when I was on vacation or driving somewhere for vacation or at my parents in the Bay Area when they were alive. They're not even alive anymore. I mean, it was like everybody would have these different experiences where I was talking to them at um, because I never not took a phone call. And then I realized when I had this situation happen that I had to stop talking on the phone. I had to... um, try to not have the foundation located in my house because I have a you know a pretty small house in a nice area in Point Loma, San Diego and it was just like basically this foundation has been our second child. So you you wonder like why is why is autism tree not in other cities or other states? It's because, you know, it's been the ultimate pay it forward model. Um and so now 14 years into it, uh we have you know, 300 volunteers that help. We have thousands of families we serve. But what I will tell you, what drives this foundation 100% is a heart connection. It's my heart connecting to your heart. If you and I lived in San Diego, we'd be working together. We're we're already doing something right now, but I look at your picture and I feel a heart connection to you without even talking to you on the phone. And And that's a real thing with autism, families and moms, but what really just soul-level... I guess keeps me addicted to the dream of the big dreams that I'm trying to accomplish for the for our families um is that there's so many people in our family um that make this foundation happen that don't have a child with autism and they you know they're therapists, they're friends, they're family members, um they're community leaders and I'm I'm so so level grateful that they care about our kids and and the number one thing that makes me the most blessed is when they act like they're not doing me or my foundation or our kids a favor, but that we're a gift. And that's that's the best blessing I get is pretty much everyone I interact with, every program I do, they treat our foundation and our children and families like a blessing and a gift. And that's what keeps me going. And, you know, I – wow. Because I know exactly what you're saying. Um, we've talked a lot about in the past care, you know, self care for the caregiver, and um, a lot of what we're saying is kind of mirroring my experience and yours. So um, I just thank you for being there for those families and uh, continuing to be a part of the universal autism family. Um, so I want to take another question. Um, what is the screening process? Yeah, the screening process, we um, work directly with the director of every preschool. And we first have our speech therapist goes in and trains the teachers, the signs to look for for children with autism, and then gives them um, – a parental waiver, every every child has to have a parental waiver for her to then screen them. And that is, so our, the speech therapists that were paying to do the screenings, um, and there's been no attrition and it's all been part of research. And so I'm not a speech therapist. I can't go into the great detail, but 
what what happens is very comprehensive in terms of we raise money to pay her to be able to do that because she, you know she has to get paid that's what she does for a living as a speech therapist and she is basically very um, much a um, part of the team at the preschools that she screens at for Autism Tree. So she has a relationship with the director of the preschool, the teachers, and then also when she's giving out the follow-up report, one gets filed at school and one gets given to every parent. And if there's a concern for a developmental delay, it'll be on that report that goes to the parent and to the school. Um, in some cases, they, she might want to rescreen in six months because these children are developing. So if they're talking a little bit but not a lot or, you know, things like that. Um, but if it is a child that is flagged for autism, it will give the resources and then she'll work closely with the um, teacher and the director. And if the parent, um, usually I know she will interact with the parent as well to make sure to guide them on how to navigate the system of autism, which we all know is really overwhelming. Exactly. And personally, I, I'm trying to get myself on that trajectory of um, being ADOS certified, which is the Autism Diagnostic Observation Schedule, um, because, as I said, one of my passions, which you, I, I think you underscored so beautifully, is it's so important to get that early diagnosis and to begin those therapeutic interventions as soon as possible. Um, and there's just such a shortage of, um, you know, qualified personnel just to do the diagnosis. So we have this, mm -hmm. this backlog of families just waiting to get a diagnosis. Yes, yes. Um, and Which we have that here, too. devastating. Yes. So, we know the current statistics, statistical rates in the U.S. stand at 1 in 68 births, 1 in 42 for boys, which are close to five um, times as prevalent as girls, and 1 in 50, as you stated, for school-age children, 6 to 17. Um, and, and we know this varies by state. For instance, New Jersey reports 1 in 45, and they're the highest in the nation. What are, do you know the prevalence rates for California at this time? You said it's 1 in 45 in New Jersey. Is that what you said? Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's what and then what was your question? That they are the highest. Do you know mm -hmm. if there's a different um, statistical rate for California? Yeah. Uh, yes. I can't tell you that exact statistic. I, I really, the one that I most, you know, use is the CDCs, but... Um, I will say that um, I think it's pretty well publicized and documented, even since my son was diagnosed, that I'm actually from Silicon Valley, though I've lived in San Diego since I went to college here in 87, and my husband was from the area. Um, so I still have a whole team and also work in Northern California, um, and Silicon Valley is notoriously really, really high as well because there's nowhere in the country that has people, men and women, that brains are um, wired in such a way that they're doing, you know, um, writing code and software and all the things they do in Silicon Valley, which they do on such a large scale. Um, there's, just, you know, too many companies to to count, especially now with the dot-coms. But even before that, when my son was diagnosed, it was Apple and HP and IBM, and, and now it's, you know, Google and um, and Netflix and, you know, it goes on and on and on. But Silicon Valley definitely um, is known. And when you look at the autism spectrum, you start with the PDD NOS and you go all the way over to Asperger's, and there's been a lot of talk um you know, is Asperger's part of the DSM-4 or not? And I can't even speak to that. But what I can speak to is something that's happening right now. I almost feel like I'm dreaming. It makes me nervous to talk about, but I am involved in it. It's one of the most exciting things to me personally because, like you, my son's a senior right now, and he's going to college. And early intervention um, and everything that that we sought to do, my, my son – is um, going to be able to go to um, a, a, call, a good college, and he goes to a prep school. But there is a whole program going on in Silicon Valley that my son went and looked at. SAP is like the Ferrari of 
Global Autism at Work initiative. It's now a consortium, meaning that Microsoft came on, and I don't want to name all the other companies, but there's, there's at least five notable companies that you would recognize that are very serious about this initiative. SAP has been implementing it into their global operations for eight years. Why is it successful? Is because from India to out of Texas to um, the women I met and have gone and seen the high school mentor program out of SAP in Palo Alto, it's all parent-run. And they're not getting paid by SAP to do it. SAP supports them to do it, but they're parents who want to see um, children and adults with autism have real jobs. It is the most exciting thing for me because it's not an idea. It's, they're already doing it. And the, all the people I've met that, that are behind the SAP Global Autism at Work program blow my mind. And what I saw was there was 18 junior juniors in high school or seniors in high school that were in the program, and now I think Cheryl added it's up to 26. It's her third series of kids, and it's like their early intervention. So they have been doing – they have over 100 employees in their global workforce, but they saw they need to start working with adults earlier to have them understand the company culture, working at a company. That's why Cheryl has a daughter with autism, and she started – this high school mentor program, I, I couldn't believe it, Jackie. When I saw these kids, and we, we handpicked three of our kids, and it was my own son's idea. He talked them into saying, can we have three of our kids from Autism Tree? And then he went about selecting and saying, I think this would be great for them. And he, my son has a huge heart and started a whole intern youth and um, youth intern program for our foundation. And um, he's just a big light and loves everybody um, with autism and, and wants to do a lot of things at a, a, a government level because he loves politics. But anyway, to stay on point, early intervention now for your son and my son driving this over here for our other kids, a lot of our kids who have been with our foundation for 14 years are in high school or just started college. So SAP, they believe in early intervention and what just happened, we do a neuroscience conference. This was our third year. And Cheryl from SAP came out and spoke, and she had the man out of Texas who does the Global Autism at Work program for SAP speak. And their goal is 1% of their workforce, which is 650 jobs. And this year, Microsoft will hold the summit for this whole initiative of Global Autism at Work. So. I, I can't explain to you how excited I am about this and how much respect and love and dignity I see when I've gone there and watched. I saw every one of those junior high and high schoolers in that program grow a little in front of me. It was like seeing that they were looked at and listened to and respected for their thoughts, their ideas. It was um, remarkable. And just for them to be able to see a video that shows these different employees with autism, and they don't have autism jobs. These are jobs that SAP needs to fill. So we had um, at DPR Construction, one of our fathers that sits on the board has two boys with autism. So Cheryl came to town, and she wants to have SAP's program implemented as many companies as possible. So Eric Kusick's name brought it to his company, DPR, here in San Diego. And Cheryl had... Um, what you know, the the man I'm blanking on his name. I think it's Jose Velasquez. Um, video in and talk in depth about how they in eight years have done this, and show the video that shows the employees throughout their global workforce. At the end, um, Eric said, you know, I, I think DPR wants to take this on. By the time Cheryl got back to the Bay Area, Eric had sent her a card and said, we are going to hire our first employee with autism and. It was one of the top three happiest days of my life running this foundation because I just thought, oh, my God, my son, your son, they're going off to college, and I've met this woman, and now her goal is to hire one person with autism at a time. And I'm still here over here trying to make sure we diagnose every child and have them kindergarten ready as much as possible. But what is happening in the world right now is for, for children and families with autism is by far and away the most – the most miraculous miracle I never imagined I would even see. It wasn't even on my radar. 
and I, I just can't can't stress to everyone that this is very real. Companies now in Silicon Valley, SAP, when they had their their um, international per, spokesperson for this for their company, he said at their company they give people with autism 80 more IQ points because in eight years they have all this data on all the things that have happened. And it's been that impactful. I mean, I can't, I don't want to misspeak, you know, because I don't work at SAP, but I mean, they see the talent and the capability of their employees with autism. And, and he literally said they give them 80 more IQ points. Wow. I, I am so blown away because I, again, I am definitely, you know, I've, connected with so many different people on this other end as we're talking about our children becoming adults and having independent but meaningful and purposeful lives and, and, and that whole neurodiversity movement of really looking at autism as a separate community but not a broken community. So to hear this, I am... Again, this, I think this is probably one of the few times I can actually say I'm speechless because I'm trying so hard to just absorb everything that you've been saying. I know. I'm really emotional to, to talk wow. about it to you. So I want you to know, like, wow. I love that you're emotional, and I've seen it, and I've I've been involved in it for, I don't know, less than a year. I brought them to our neuroscience conference here in San Diego, and I'm just – I'm over-the-top passionate to partner with them on every possible way, and I want all the kids that I'm serving um, and the larger community that you're serving and to be on your show to know that this is the most positive, positive, positive thing I've seen in 14 years that I've been in it, and it's real. It's not an idea. That's what lights me up so much. And the people that are implementing it all have children with autism. I'm so sorry. We are actually out of time. I'm going to have my publicist get in touch with you because we definitely got to have you back on the show, continue this conversation. I, listen, wow. Um, family, that's our time, believe it or not. Thank you so much for being on the show. Families, thank you for tuning in. And remember, this is NSB Online Radio. This is a show where there are no small victories. Every accomplishment should be celebrated. Upon the moment long ago, one breath away, and there you will be, so young and carefree. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.